Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome to Sky Women Podcast. Today, we have a treat. Dr. Jill Kraft is with us. She is a board-certified OB-GYN specializing in female sexual pain disorders at the Center for Vulvar Vaginal Disorders in Washington, D.C. You may have seen her on Instagram at Dr. Jill Kraft, MD. She is putting out a lot of fantastic educational content. Dr. Kraft is active in research and has published chapters and peer-reviewed articles on vulvodynia and vulvar lichen sclerosis. She is an associate editor for the Medical Journal of Sexual Medicine, as well as for the textbook, Female Sexual Pain Disorders. She is a fellow of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, which we call ISHWISH, and she is serving on the Education Committee and Social Media Committee this year. She is such a delight. Her information is so fantastic. I hope that you go and follow her now. Pause, go and follow her now. <laughs> it's such great content. Welcome, Dr. Kraft. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. We've been in contact you know, multiple times through our journeys the last year or so, but it's so great to connect in this way. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so excited to bring your expertise to my audience because just explain to us, like your interest has always been kind of in sexual health, but then you were kind of the it gal for vulvar disorders. <laughs> and yes. so how did this come about and how, if somebody else is listening and like, I'm an OB-GYN and I love this, how could they do that? Like, tell us what that looks like. I love it. The it girl. Wonderful. <laughs> so basically what happened was when I was a chief resident many years ago, about a decade ago, I scrubbed in on a surgery that I had never seen before. It was something called a vulvar vestibulectomy, basically removal of the vulvar vaginal tissue, the entrance to the vagina tissue called the vestibule. And it's yeah. done in a very specific circumstance uh, for people that have pain in that area. It's not a very common procedure. It's not very well known. And there's a, a few handful of specialists around the country that really do this. And I happened to be scrubbed in with the person who did the second most in the world. And this is Dr. Andrew Goldstein. And so when I scrubbed into the surgery, he started telling me about vulvodynia and the conditions that he sees in his practice. And I was a resident about to graduate. I was about to start a new job and take care of women on my own. And I had never heard about half of these things. And so it was a real eye opener for me. And I really didn't want to go out into the world without knowing about these conditions. And so I asked Dr. Goldstein if I could join him in the office just to kind of see what this was about. And I did. And I caught the bug. I just I loved it. it. And these women were so grateful. It was, we were getting a look into their lives in a very unique way. It was basically all the reasons that I went into OB-GYN in the first place, but it was, it was so specific. And he was so helpful to these patients that I really wanted to provide this service myself. 
And so when I graduated and I did, I had a year where I did a medical education fellowship, actually, because at that point in my life, I thought that I wanted to be like the dean of a medical school or something. Right, right. Um, big I goals. A, big goals, big goals. I had a strong interest in education and I wanted to be a clerkship director at that point. And so wow. I had a lot of free time during that year because I had a lot of research time. And so I spent as much time as I could at the Center for Vulvovaginal Disorders, learning everything I possibly could. I read all the articles. I mean, at that point, it, it was really kind of not an emerging field, but it was kind of in that realm. There wasn't right. that much out there about you know, 10, 12 years ago. And so, so I really became very familiar with it. And I started to apply it with my patients. When I joined the institution where I was doing the fellowship, I soon became known as the person that sees these difficult patients. Because at that point, that's what they were, right? They were patients that required a lot of time that we really didn't, people didn't understand. Doctors were not well-trained in these conditions. And so I started to see all of the patients that had pain with sex and who had pain with tampon insertion and pain, people who had never been able to, who had low libido and who had patients who had never had an orgasm before and people with recurrent infections in that area, skin conditions, tearing, like all of these things that as OBGYNs, sure, we get like some exposure to, but it's definitely not the things that we say, oh yeah, I'm really comfortable with. Not the bread and butter, but it sounds like you created your own fellowship. Really? Like you followed your heart, you followed your interests, you followed those things that kind of lit you on fire. And this is what I love when I see physicians who are willing to go against like the herd of like, this is what we do. This is exactly how you do it. Like you are willing to pave your own path, to follow your interests, to serve patients in a way that's authentic to you. Yes. So essentially I did two fellowships at the same time <laughs> without really realizing it because I was, I was getting a master's in education at the time, which is so funny because I already had my MD, right? right. Um, here I am getting a master's, which is kind of going backwards. It was funny. I, I did a job interview at later in my career and because I was a hospitalist for a couple of years. And so, and during the interview, they're like, this is interesting. You're an MD yet you, then you got a master's. I'm like, they're like, why were you going backwards? And I was like, well, actually, I think that lifelong learning is very important. And I was actually going forwards, but it was, it was very funny that they called me out in that way. But you're right. I I think that it's important, you know, when you realize that you have a passion for something and you don't like the status quo, you want to apply your skills and expertise in a certain way. I think thinking outside the box is really important. You don't have to do something the way, because that's what the way that everybody else did it, or that's the way that you were trained. If you know for sure that this is, you know, a more effective way to do something. Yeah, absolutely. And now you see patients who have, I mean, I think vulvar burning is your most common complaint, but can you highlight like the top conditions that you see and kind of what the workup and treatment kind of looks like? So it's interesting because when patients come to me, I'm generally not their first doctor that they've seen for these conditions. I believe it. A patient, you know, by the time they get to my center, a patient has seen an average of seven doctors for their symptoms. And so just putting that into perspective, just sitting with that for a second, you can imagine that that's a lot of failed therapy. That's a lot of 
I would even say medical trauma, misdiagnosis. Sure. Um, these patients have really been through the ringer by the time they see me. And what's interesting is a lot of people don't have a diagnosis. They come basically with symptoms that they have. And most people, they have no idea what's causing their symptoms. I have a pretty extensive questionnaire that I have patients fill out before they see me. The reason I do that is because I want to give them my all during the time that we have face to face. And so if I have a bit of background on the nitty gritty of like their medical conditions and medications they're on and so forth, it kind of helps me get my wheels turning and then get their wheels turning as they're filling out this questionnaire. So we can really concentrate on what's going on, on a diagnosis and on the treatment. But what's interesting is in this questionnaire, my favorite question, my favorite question is, what do you think is going on? And I have to say, it's the last question on the questionnaire. And I have to say that a majority of the time, even if patients have no background in this, have no idea what's going on, they often hit the nail on the head as far really? as Yes, it's, I, I just love it. And it keeps me going. Like, it's like, I really want to educate people that are adult learners, right? I mean, that comes yeah. from my education background and adult, yeah. learner, adult learners are motivated and they, you know, they're thinking through things and they want to know things and they learn by experience. Yeah. And so it's funny, like how your past really ties into whatever you're doing. But to get back to your answer though, the main thing that I see that patients come in with is burning, rawness, discomfort, pain, however you want to term it, right? There's different ways that we describe what we're feeling. Most of my patients have been misdiagnosed in the past as having yeast infections without discharge, because that's what it feels like. Basically the entrance area of their vagina or that what we call the vulvar vestibule, which is mm-hmm. right inside the labia minora. It's this small area about the size of a postage stamp. This area, for whatever reason, and I have the reasons, but for whatever reason, feels raw, feels dry, may tear, it's irritated, there's discomfort, there's rawness, there's burning, there's however you want to term it. And um, that's the main thing that people come to see me for. Right. Okay. And so what does your typical workup look like? Yeah. So I start with a history like we all do, but my history is a bit more extensive because I'm really trying to diagnose someone with something that is that may not even have like a distinct diagnosis. So many of the patients that I that I see have what we call vulvodynia. Mm-hmm. And vulvodynia is, is a difficult term because it essentially means vulvar pain of unknown etiology, right? Odine was the little known Greek goddess of pain. And so adinia basically refers to an abnormal pain response. So allodynia, which you may have heard of if you have a medical background, means when something that you touch lightly that shouldn't cause pain causes pain. And so vulvodynia means pain of the vulva, which is the whole external female genitalia. And then more specifically, vestibulodynia means pain of the vulvar vestibule, which is that area that I was telling you about where nine out of 10 times someone has pain, especially if it's pain with insertion or pain with intercourse. So a lot of times the patients that I see will will come to me because they've hit a wall in their relationships because they're unable to have sex. And sex can mean many different things, but in this case, they're, they're associating it 
associating it with intercourse with penis and vagina. And so they may, that, that may have caused an issue with their relationship. They may not be having intimacy in that way, or they may want to get pregnant and they can't because they can't, they have so much pain that they're unable to even be intimate in that way. And so there's that subset of, of patients. And then I have patients who aren't, maybe aren't sexually active or they're okay in that area, but they're just having pain every time they sit they have pain or they have just daily burning symptoms. They may have bowel and bladder symptoms that are associated and it's really affecting their quality of life. And so I see kind of a mix of all of, all of these things. Right. So you have to kind of tease out based on your, the history, you've kind of got a shorter differential at that point, right? Where you can kind of tease out what you think it is. So what does the typical workup then look like after you've gotten through that extensive history and you've kind of pinpointed a couple of causes. Yeah. So it's true. What I, what I generally tell patients is um, when patients come in with vulvar pain or vulvodynia, it's almost like a ball of yarn with many different colors all wrapped together. Right. And so there's rarely one cause to this type of pain or this type of discomfort. And Mm -hmm. so what I generally am doing, I'm pulling out each color yarn to separate it to figure out what's going on because then we can target treatment in a more successful way. So after I do a history, then I do a physical exam and the physical exam um, really confirms whatever I initially thought with history and it really nails down the diagnosis for me. I tell patients even before I do the exam, kind of my little primer on things, because then when we do the exam, it's really a team effort where we work together. And when I explain things as I'm doing the exam, they're putting it together in their head as well. And so Mm -hmm. the way that I... What I tell patients before before we do the exam is, okay, with these symptoms that you're having, in general, there's four different big buckets of cause, right? right? There's four general causes here. And they can be different conditions with that within the causes, but we'll just think of it in a how the body works way. Right. So this can be related to hormones, okay? And there can be many reasons for that, but it could be re- related to decreases in estrogen and testosterone, mm-hmm. okay? And then sometimes I'll point out some of the, what I call red flags or like the different indicators in their history that specifically ties to that. It can be related to muscle. So there can be muscle reasons why someone can have pain with intercourse or can have burning symptoms. It can be related to inflammation and inflammation can be either internal or external. So external causes of inflammation were pretty, we we understand pretty well. These are things like if you put on, you know, a yeast infection over the counter cream and you have an allergic reaction. And then ever since then you had sensitivity in that area, that would be an external inflammatory potential cause or something that we'd be looking for. It can also be infections like recurrent yeast, which can be on the vulva on the outside without even being vaginal, without all the discharge symptoms, which many people miss. It can be related to inflammatory vaginitis or inflammatory discharge that affects the tissue at the opening. And so it can be any of these things. It can also be internal. And when I say internal, I mean within the skin. So there's autoimmune skin conditions that can cause these symptoms and they're inflammatory based. These are things like lichen sclerosis and lichen planus. These dermatologic vulvar dermatoses is what they what we call them, that it's a tough one because it's it's a condition kind of caught between 
between dermatology and gynecology. Right. But these are these are some of the things I'm thinking in the inflammatory bucket. And then last but not least, we have nerve-related causes. And nerve-related causes, we can be talking about the actual nerve endings in the tissue of the vestibule that can can cause all of these symptoms. Because remember, there's only one type of nerve receptor in this tissue. It's called a C afferent nociceptor. And so anything that contacts that nerve receptor is going to be interpreted by the brain as the same way, which is itching, burning, rawness, discomfort, feels like a yeast infection, right? Because that's what our brain interprets. So anything that irritates those nerve endings can also cause symptoms. And then in addition, we have two large nerves that come into this area that innervate or provide feeling and sensation to the entire vulva. And those are called the pudendal nerves. They break into three branches. One goes to the clitoris, one goes to the labia, and one goes to the anal area. And so that's another part of this is evaluating nerves from that standpoint too. So four general causes, hormone-related, muscle-related, inflammatory, and nerve-related. And I'm basically sorting it out in that way. I love it. So treatment then is going to be dependent on what the source is, right? Got it. So I do want to touch base on recurrent vaginitis, because I see this very often where a patient comes in complaining of, you know, I get yeast infections all the time. This is so common for me, or I don't understand why my BV doesn't go away. And usually you're not the first patient or the first provider that they're seeing about this, right? And so you've got to kind of sort out that history, but then also confirm the diagnosis. And sometimes that can be a little challenging. So I want to talk about that a little bit and, and how do we prevent this recurrent vaginitis? Ah, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So basically with recurrent vaginitis, the way that I approach it is, first of all, patients that come to me, they don't always have cultures. The diagnosis is not always set in stone. And so if I have a patient that has, for example, recurrent yeast infections, but she doesn't have a vaginal discharge associated with it, it's just the feeling that it feels like a yeast infection, then I'm really entertaining other causes like the ones that we talked about before. I'm not wed to yeast as the primary diagnosis. Now, you know, if someone has hormonally associated vestibulodynia, I just used a big term. What I mean there (laughs) is that if they have pain and burning and discomfort of the opening and pain with sex with insertion, because the hormone levels of estrogen and testosterone are low and affecting the glands that produce our natural lubrication, causing irritation and discomfort. If that's occurring, then it's possible that the person is more prone to develop infection in that area, such as a yeast infection. So I like to look at it from two ways. I like to say, okay, is this really the diagnosis with fresh eyes? Is this really what's going on? And then the second thing is, what's the underlying reason for this? Why is this person getting multiple yeast infections? What's the root cause of this? What, is there anything that I can do through medication, diet, behavioral changes, and so forth, that's going to basically make this better in the long term, not just looking at just treating incidence by incidence, but just looking at long term, what can we do to change the environment to allow this pattern to, to stop? So that's right. generally that's generally how I how I approach it. And then there's other forms of vaginitis that a lot of people don't pick up. And what I'm talking about is, you know, this whole area of aerobic vaginitis as well as 
disclamative inflammatory vaginitis or DIV. When I was in residency and uh, starting as a new attending again, many years ago, this was considered, you know, like not a real diagnosis, like this, Mm -hmm. you know, what are you talking about? This doesn't exist. But now, you know, I I remember when we were doing our CME, which stands for continued medical education that we have to do every year to stay board certified. There was a great article that we did on, and it was on bacterial vaginosis, which most people are familiar with, as well as DIV, um, disclamative inflammatory vaginitis. And I remember at the time I had been treating DIV for like five years before that. And I remember seeing this and being like, what a win. Like, this is so good. But DIV generally is an inflammatory vaginitis. So it tends to be really symptomatic. It's basically a yellow, like pus-like discharge. Mm -hmm. It's very inflammatory. It's thick, a copious discharge. But what's important about it is it causes a lot of inflammation and irritation of the delicate vaginal and vestibular tissue. And so it can cause a lot of these same symptoms. And so I'm glad that it's becoming more and more recognized now because that's something that I often see that gets missed. Yes, absolutely. So how often are you having to do a vulva biopsy to get a diagnosis? Because I think a lot of people are fearful of having their vulva biopsy, but it's often necessary. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So as far as biopsy, I only do a biopsy if I have an uncertain diagnosis. If or if I'm concerned about vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia, which is, stands for VIN, or a vulvar cancer. So VIN is basically like a precancer. And we see this in the setting of HPV effect mm-hmm. on the vulva, which is why I do a vulvoscopy for all my patients, as well as other reasons. And then we also see it in the setting of skin condition called lichen sclerosis, which is believed to be, to be an autoimmune skin condition, but there's about a 5% risk of developing a vulvar cancer with that. And so generally, I'll do vulvar biopsies for conditions that I can see, right? If I can't see it on the skin, there's no point in doing a a biopsy because the pathology is not going to come back giving me any answers, right? And the other thing that I really encourage people, you know, especially providers out there, you always want to have a question in mind before you do a biopsy. If you're completely unsure, the biopsy is probably good going to make you more confused. But if you <laughs> if you have a differential diagnosis in mind, like if you're like, okay, I'm not sure if this is like in sclerosis or if this is like in simplex chronicus, you know, if you're kind of going between a couple diagnosis diagnoses, but you you have we kind of think you know what it is, then a vulvar biopsy can be very helpful. In addition, I try to do a vulvar biopsy on anyone with lichen sclerosis that doesn't have one, um, just to confirm the diagnosis because the treatment is lifelong. And so if I'm going to put someone on a lifelong treatment, unless it's absolutely clinically, like there's no question at all, or if I feel like the biopsy is going to cause more emotional turmoil, sometimes I'll make the clinical decision not to, but in general, I like to have a biopsy proven diagnosis for those cases. Oh, I agree. I agree. Especially when patients come and they've seen multiple providers and they've previously been on treatment and now it's all flared and it's like, I want to make sure I'm treating the right thing. Right. And so I got to get a biopsy. What is your opinion on these soft tissue biopsies? Have you seen these new? This is for my personal gain. They have these newer, I think they call it a soft tissue biopsy, but you kind of press it in and just twist. Like you're not actually cutting a segment 
Okay. No, I haven't, I haven't, haven't seen this experience with that. No, I, I generally do like, you know, punch biopsy. Yeah. So I'll do either a punch or a shave biopsy. Um, I mean, that's definitely my favorite. I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better information so far. I've not been pleased with the soft tissue biopsies. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I, I do need all the layers I yeah. need down to the basement membrane for for diagnosis of lichen sclerosis. And yeah. so I, I'll either do, yeah, like I said, I'll do either a punch biopsy or a shape biopsy, depending on anatomic location. So right. if it's more put on the bottom, like where the perineum is or the sides, it's generally safe to do a, to do a punch biopsy. If it's anywhere near the clitoris, up on the top at all, it's generally safer to do a shave biopsy. And so I don't take biopsy lightly. I mean, it's a procedure, right? But at the same time, it's necessary in certain circumstances to do it. And my patients, they do really well with it. I mean, I inject lidocaine using a very, very tiny needle. It's like the size of an acupuncture needle. They hardly feel it at all. And once I do that, the rest is really, it's just, they don't feel it. So, and plus I, I do a lot of biopsies, so I'm quite experienced in and I have had patients say like, oh, are you, you did it already? <laughs> I, I talked the whole time too. <laughs> right. You're distracting them. It's the, it's the okay anesthesia. Like, yeah, you're okay. Exactly. You're okay. <laughs> it's it's the, ver- the verbal anesthesia. Yeah. Right? <laughs> okay. So tell us if someone's not in the DC area, right? How can they find a vulvar specialist in their area? Yes. So there's directories that are available. I think education is getting out. There's definitely courses that are emerging on this. I'm directing a course that got unfortunately postponed due to COVID. It was supposed to be, oh my goodness, we've rescheduled it so many times. I can't even remember when it was originally supposed to be, but it's supposed to now be the summer of 2022. It's going to be in Washington, DC. It's going to be put on by ISWISH, which is the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, which is like the premier organization on these topics. And so ISWISH actually has a fall course, which is phenomenal. The fall course goes over all areas of female sexual dysfunction. So it goes over arousal, desire, it goes over orgasm disorders as well as vulvar pain disorders. And so it's really comprehensive. And then this other course that I'm a part of planning is going to only focus on vulvar pain conditions. So fascinating. um, Yeah. So it's all the things that I do. And I think that these courses are really helpful because they're not only for MDs and DOs and not only for gynecologists, they're for urologists, family practice, pretty much anyone who is interested in doing this or seeing or sees patients that have these types of complaints. But it's also for um, nurse practitioners, midwives, anybody with a medical background that would like to kind of get into this field. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. The Iswish courses are fantastic. Okay. Um, but as far as other directories, um, so oh. Iswish has, yeah, Iswish has a directory. In addition, the National Vulvodynia Association, nva.org, they have a directory of providers. There's, if you have lichen sclerosis or you believe you do, there's a new directory through the Lichen Sclerosis Support Network. And there wasn't previously a directory for this. So this is a big win. So that's available as well. There's also, there's a lot of social media accounts that have a lot of resources. And so there's a resource guide called the, I believe it's called the Ultimate Vulvodynia Resource Guide. And it Mm -hmm. has all the information you would ever want. So that's a great resource as well. You can probably Google that and find that there. And then there's some pelvic floor physical therapy sites and 
of advocates who have directories like Pelvic Guru. There's one through ACTA, which is the American Physical Therapy Association. And then there's also one through Herman Wallace, which is Pelvic Rehab. So there's actually, yeah, there's a ton of directories. You just kind of have to know where to look. And I would say, you know, I just, I wish it was more well distributed because I think the biggest message that I get direct message through Instagram is how do I find someone like you? Right. Right. Um, (laughs) And it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard because there's, you know, there's few people that are, that are really doing this, but there are people, there are people that are doing this. There are people that are trained in it. It's like any other specialty. And my hope for the future is, you know, as an OB-GYN, we have fellowships and we have specialists who do reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And I do urogynecology. A lot of urogynecologists are actually getting into this field. So a lot of them are, have additional training on this as well. But my hope is that someday, you know, there's going to be a specialty recognized for sexual medicine mm. and for sexual pain. And there will be fellowships available and training available in the future. Oh, that would be amazing. I know that would be amazing. (laughs) This is an area that is so underserved. And that's why on the podcast, we've had like Kelly Casperson on and, you know, we're, we're really trying to open the doors to have these discussions around sexual female wellness. I mean, if men had these issues, I feel like there would be a lot more research dollars applied to this. So it's so good to see people doing the good work in this field. It's true. It's true. And the other thing is like, what's really interesting is at least on social media and in the organization, a lot of the specialties that are spearheading this are the urologists. So, you know, and I think as gynecologists, we need to step up, right? We need, like, we're seeing these patients, usually first line, they're coming to us first and they're, you know, if they're not getting the help that they need, then we need to provide that service for them. And that is coming through urogynecology for sure. But a lot of times, you know, the urologists are presenting these things at their meetings. They have courses devoted to this at the urology meetings. And we need to do this in our organizations as well. We need to start publishing research on this in the mainstream OBGYN journals and really get the word out and do our part with this. So I'm hoping, I do a lot of clinical research as well, as well as seeing patients. And so I'm hoping that, you know, we can raise awareness through research too. Yes, absolutely. Well, I am so thrilled to have you. Everybody, please go follow Dr. Jill Cramp. Can you please tell us your Instagram handle because your last name's spelled differently? Yes. So it's J-I-L-L-K-R-A-P-F-M-D. And you can find me on Instagram if you just look look that up. There I am. Okay, fantastic. And you're putting out all kinds of great content. Oh, really quickly, I wanted to touch on, you had your top tips. I know that you had to like avoid discomforts of the vulva for women. Can you just throw those out at us real quickly? Yes. So so basically keeping the area as fragrance-free as possible is the biggest thing. So a lot of the products that are marketed towards feminine hygiene, which there's a big problem with that whole idea, right? A lot of these scented products, these wipes, I can't tell you how many patients I see in the office that have irritation and, and then develop chronic symptoms because they're using products that they really shouldn't 
have used in the first place because they were marketed in a very deceptive way. And so the first thing is in order to clean the vulva and the vagina, all you need is water. You don't even need to clean the vagina. It is a self-cleaning oven. As far as the vulva goes, you really just need water. If you do want to use a product, make sure that it is free from different irritating ingredients, including, uh, and I have a whole list on my Instagram if you ever want to look, but there's, there's definitely products that are really marketed in a very safe way. Less is more here. Right. Um, So that's number one. The second thing is, you know, use a lubricant with intercourse. Don't suffer. If you have any pain with intercourse, any dryness with intercourse, it's really important to use a lubricant. There are safe ones that are available. You want to stay away from fragrances and warming ingredients and all of those things that that you may hear about. You want to keep to natural ingredients and less is more when it comes to ingredients for lubricants as well. And then, you know, the other thing is behavioral things, you know, changing out of wet clothes, changing out of sweaty gym clothes, all of these things that, you know, sometimes like they're common sense, but we don't always put everything together. And then the other part about this is if you find that you have you know, recurrent pain, if you're not getting answers, I think, you know, if if you can't see a specialist, the next best step is to book an appointment with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Because I find that a lot of times when pain goes into a chronic cycle, you really do have a muscle component involved. And oftentimes a pelvic floor physical therapist is in the know about the different providers to send you to if you do have a tissue issue. And so they can be a good referral source for if, if there is a hormonal thing going on, if there is a skin condition thing going on, they can take care of the pelvic floor and then they can give you advice on who to see to take care of the additional components that are making up your vulvar pain condition. So these are probably my biggest takeaways. I love it. Yeah. Excellent. And you heard it here, gals, you can go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, we have plenty of fantastic pelvic floor physical therapists who are serving at Sky Women's Health. You can find Triggered PT who are here with us now with Dr. Yenny. I am so happy to have you, Dr. Crabb. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, Look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.